0: Thank you. Okay. If uh, you're watching this uh, at home on your TV and uh, wondering why he's back in the book room, it's nice to be back here. And uh, thank you very much, Malcolm. And thank you, Terry, and Wendy, and everybody else. We'll give, come to thanks in a few minutes. Uh, as I sit here tonight, I, there's loads and loads of questions going through my mind. We're just about to go home and I'm just just questioning how on earth over such a short period of time, we could have had so many blessings. It's like coming and touching heaven, isn't it? How, how on earth could this group of people go again and give over 600,000 pounds? I can't work it out in my mind. It's just grace upon grace upon us. And uh, I'm also sitting there, I don't know if you ever do this when you're sitting there worshiping thinking, was Simo's brother wearing his shirt from last year? (laughs) And did my towel that was missing in my hotel bathroom get nicked by Simo up here, because it kind of looked familiar. And does the lead guitarist use head and shoulders? All these questions sort of go through your... ..go through your mind, don't they? I don't know if you're anything like me. Books. I love books. I hope you love books. They're great friends. And uh, I'm, I'm reading at the moment a biography. Terry reminded us, encouraged us uh, to read biographies C.T. Studd, uh, Hudson Taylor, uh, William Carey. They're amazing. I'm reading a book on Hudson Taylor's life. And it's called It Is Not Death to Die. That just tells you <laughs> where it's going, really. Uh, it's amazingly challenging it's a message when you're reading it I mean as you read this story of his life you just can't quite believe how easy we've got it I mean his mother on the, on the, on the pier side as he's on the boat to go on an eight month journey his mother's cry as the boat leaves the quay, he says it will never leave him it was a piercing wail because she thought she would never see her son again when Hudson Taylor came back to the UK after his first missionary trip, he asked and enlisted 12 people to come and saying, you need to know these 12 people coming will probably die. But such was the commitment of people to go. It was utterly amazing. One of my favorite uh, series of books, one thing I love doing is reading history. I don't know about you. I love reading about our history, the British history reading about the braveness of people, and in a way, I want to just say as we begin to look at what I want to share tonight, the the encouragement of the uh, people to give their lives for something greater than themselves is something I want to talk about tonight. When you see the uh, that very famous picture which will come up on our screen that your country wants you, Kitchener, in the First World War. I think when you read the Great Commission, and we call commission, for a very important purpose, Jesus called his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. He promised them authority he said as we saw in the very first message the need of the hour's power don't do this don't go and be my witnesses until you've been clothed with power from on high and reading as i said i love reading i love reading the bible i want to really ask you as you go home because we're going home in a few minutes time i want you to go home and not say were not the message great but go home and read the bible Because this is an amazing story. You were given little notebooks. I hope in your little notebooks you've already written down some of these prophetic words. I hope you've already written down that you pledged, you gave this amount of money. God raised £620,000. These are amazing days. And you read the book of Acts as we have over this conference. And we read these words save yourselves from this crooked generation and those who received his words were baptized and there were added that day three thousand souls we go yes god three thousand we want to see four how about four thousand next year at west point anybody feel we can get there yeah i I think we should go for that i i I think we, we i mean god's given us everything even the weather I mean, just if you're from India, we don't get four consecutive days of sunshine in England very often. It's grace. It really is grace. And it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. We want to have days like that in the future, don't we? And then you read on and you read on this incredible, wonderful story. I love the way it describes Acts chapter 6. In these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose and 12 summoned the full number of disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Brothers, pick out among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. And when they said that, they appointed Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, Philip, Procurus, Nicona, Timon, Parmaeus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And these they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands. I mean, this is a story, a wonderful, wonderful story that we want to emulate. And it would be quite nice in a way to finish the story there. The numbers of the disciples carried on increasing. And God was with them. And day after day, they met in the the temple, in their homes, and continued to break bread. And great grace was upon them. And every day, people were added. That's how I'd like to go back. That's how I'd like every church in commission to be in the coming year. Wouldn't you? The trouble is, Jesus says, this gospel... Is going to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. None of the disciples seem to say, Well, hang on, Jesus, how are we we going to do that? Jerusalem's buzzing. This is a great, great day. I don't know how many of you um, fly, how many of you have ever flown? I feel a little bit like I'm in an aeroplane seat here, actually, I must admit. Um, And you know when you fly, if you fly British Airways, it's a wonderful experience. They say, would you put your seat in the upright position? Make sure your seatbelt is fastened, your tray is upright. And we're now going to give you your safety announcement. It's a lovely lady's voice. It's a very charming little music. It's beautiful. I mean, it's all calm. Planes there. Most people pick up a paper. They're not going to watch the little video. Put on their music. They're not going to listen. Who knows? I mean, we've heard all this stuff before. Some of us listen to it though. You know, we're polite. listen. And okay, you know, if the cabin pressure should somehow lose pressure. A mask will fall down beside you. Stretch over and reach the mask. Clasp it behind your ears and breathe deeply. The bag won't inflate. Don't worry. Don't do it to your neighbor before you've done yours. Do theirs after you've done yours. If by chance the plane should land on water, (laughs) do not worry. There is an emergency exit. Your stewards will show you now where they are. And go to those things. Ladies, take off your sharp stiletto heels because the inflatable slides will inflate and you can just go off into the sea. And by the way, under your seat belts, there is a nice little vest for you to wear. Put this over your head, don't inflate, and tie it up in a double bow. If you're in water, the life verse will inflate. You have a little tube to blow into, and a light, beep, beep, and a whistle, just in case. Now, most people ignore that. Most people come to conferences and can miss the apostolic charge of what we're here to do. Once in my lifetime, just once, I would like to give the safety announcement on a British Airways 747 flight. I would like to say this. I would like to put some energy into it. I'd like to say, ladies and gentlemen, buckle up. In the case of emergency, half of you morons won't even be able to undo your buckle in the case of an emergency. Listen up carefully. If somehow the cabin pressure should drop, you will notice the aeroplane is no longer flying horizontally, but straight towards the Earth. your neighbour will lean over and try to grab your gas mask, hit him firmly in the face, because you have 30 seconds to get oxygen into your system before you are dead. (laughs) If the plane lands on water, there will be an almighty racket as the wings ping-pong and fly across the ocean. Grab your safety vest and do not inflate it. Do not inflate it. Otherwise, you will be pilchards inflated (laughs) altogether going down in a margarine tub. (laughs) Count the rows you are to your emergency exit because you're going to be climbing over them very, very quickly. You have precisely two minutes to get out of the burning fuselage before it sinks like a stone. Ladies, forget your shoes, forget everything, get out of the aeroplane after your husband. And just one other bit of news for everybody, as you are bobbing around in your life rackets, the whistle is there to play London's Burning. <laughs> because one of you will have got cut on the way out, and before the RNLI ever find you, the great whites will get there miles before that, and enjoy your flight. Now, you're saying, where's he going with this? That's a good question. I, I love the character of Stephen in the book of Acts. Stephen is in a man who's full of the Holy Spirit and does amazing miracles. He gets his big opportunity to preach a message. And it says this as he, as he preaches his message um, in Acts chapter 7. And verse 54, now when the people heard these things that Stephen was saying, they were enraged. They ground their teeth at him, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand. And he said, behold, I see heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. and Saul, chapter 8, verse 1, approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, all except the apostles. You see, brothers and sisters, we're just about to go home, and we might think, we're going home and we've heard incredible messages. They've been wonderful messages. I've loved every message I've heard. I've received so much. And I've been sitting in my seat comfortably and I've thought, yeah, I, I, I do understand some of this. But we go home and we quickly forget that the call of God is for all of us to make a difference for Jesus Christ. We think that the safety instructions may be for a few idiots, not for us. Because we know how to do it. And I promise you, when they've practiced this with people who've got on fuselages and they've just practiced the safety drills, most people perish. They do not get out in time. They're not really prepared. And as we go tonight, I want to give you a sense of urgency in your spirit For the state of our nation as we've had such a terrible year with so many murders in London and in Manchester and so many people who are so consumed with hate, who are coming with such a hatred towards a Western form of life, the answer, my friends, the answer as we go back is we have not a love for this life, but we have such a love for Jesus. We have such a love for the lost that we give our lives to make a difference. We are so consumed with the love for the lost as we go out from this place that we know that we are going to change our society. We're going to make a difference in this world. And if we forget, which we're all prone to do, we need to be reminded that God will, he is sovereign, and he will blow upon his church as he has done through generations, diaspora after diaspora, he will use the wickedness of men. What the enemy meant for evil, God works it for our good and for his glory. And so I want to remind you as you're going tonight, the call of God is not on Guy Miller. The call of God is on you wherever you are in this seat tonight. The call is for all. Every one of them. And you say to me, I don't quite believe that's in the book of Acts, guy. Well, follow the story. Let's turn in the story. What happened to these scattered believers? Turn with me to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11 and verse 19, it says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, "...speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who went on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, the Greek speakers, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord." And the report came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. He came, saw the evidence of the grace of God, was glad. He exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Did you notice, by the way, how often the word full of the Holy Spirit comes in the book of Acts? The need of the hour is power. My brothers and sisters, as we go back, we need more and more of the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit. And a great many people were added to the Lord. And so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, this is the important thing here. I want to to draw your attention. In Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. If we are to win the battles God wants us to win, I believe they are on two fronts as we go away from this place. I want you to be reminded tonight, brothers and sisters, there is a war on. We know, I know we live in a nice society, I know we accept that policemen are honest, I know that we accept that government work for our good, I know we accept that we, we think that education and those in education are all working hard for our good, but I tell you what, our nation is changing and we need to be aware of these changing if we're not to be frogs that are sitting in boiling water, you've come across that analogy haven't you? if you sit a frog in warm water and turn gas underneath him, he'll just sit and sit and sit until suddenly he's dead. Because he doesn't realize the water's getting hotter and hotter, and yet if you put a frog near boiling water, it will try with all its might to get away from it. I want to suggest to you tonight there are two battles we've got to win. We've got to win the battle for our mind, and we've got to win the battle for mission. And i promise you this, we'll never win the mission battle if we don't first win the battle for our mind. It's the battle for our mind as we go back that we need to make sure we are winning. It says the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. That was a nickname. It wasn't the disciples said, tell you what, we're a little bit like Jesus, let's call ourselves Christians. No, the world looked on And they looked at these people and they said, do you know what they're like? They're like little Jesuses. They speak like Jesus, act like Jesus, think like Jesus, keep talking about Jesus. They're like little Jesus and they were called Christians first at Antioch. But these were disciples of Jesus Christ. I want to say to you, are you going home as a disciple, as an apprentice, as a learner of Jesus Christ? Because Otherwise, what will happen is you'll go from conference to conference to conference all your life and never, ever change to become more and more like Christ. We need to be discipled. We need to produce churches making disciples. And to do this, we need to win the battle of our minds. Brains are not minds. The mind is made up of intellect, will, and emotions. What we think, what we feel, what we choose. And those three areas sometimes conflict in our lives. We sometimes rely totally on our emotions, and we don't come and direct our will to direct our life. And when we Think about how do we go from here? What's God's will for my life? What's his good, pleasing, and perfect will? We need to turn to the book of Romans. Turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 12. We should underline these verses in our Bibles. I know you you probably can't do that on your iPads, but it's a good thing to do. It says in Romans 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's what I want us to go home, brothers and sisters, offering. We're all in. We're all in. We're not all in at West Point. We're all in for the rest of our life. Do not, he says in verse 2, be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, the word is me- what we, where we get metamorphosis. Be transformed. You understand this? You once were a bug. You once were in sin. You once believed and thought stupid things. You crawled along like a little bug. And by the grace of God, you came into faith. You came into Christ, into salvation. And you need to allow your mind to be metamorphosed or changed, transformed by the renewing of your life, to do this, by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what God's will of God is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect will is. The battle for the mind is at the heart of every discipleship. The battle for the mind. We do not want to become naturally more like Jesus. We have to battle with our minds. We have to command our wills and emotions to align up to what the Holy Spirit and God's word says to us. Did you know that? Jesus, what did he say in the Great Commission? Go and make disciples of all nations. But what did he say? Teaching them what? To obey everything I have commanded you. The interesting thing I find as you look at your spiritual life is when you give your life to Christ, maybe some in this room have never done that, it's a done deal because of all that Christ has done. We add nothing to our salvation other than our sin. Christ has done it all. He's the glorious victor. He's defeated sin and death and Satan. He has risen from the dead. And that new life, that eternal life is won by him. And we receive it by faith the day we put our trust in Christ. We get a new heart, if you will. But the funny thing is, we do not get a brain transplant. Wouldn't that be great? You want to become a Christian? Okay, get on the operating theater, take the brain out, put a new one in. Hey, the new guy Miller. Thinks like Jesus, speaks like Jesus, waves like Jesus, walks on water like Jesus. He's amazing. You don't get that. What you get is you get the Holy Spirit in you. Jesus says, I'll send you another one, one just like me to live within you, and he will show you everything. He will direct you into the Bible, direct you into the Word. And as you come to the Word, you'll find a a transforming power at work within you that you used to think like this, and now you align your thoughts and your wills and your emotions to think like Jesus. I I don't really feel like that. No, it doesn't matter what you feel. It's what you think, right? Feelings follow right actions. As we start to read the Word of God and believe the Word of God and know the Word of God is true and start to live that truth out, so we are transformed to lead the good, pleasing, and perfect will. You do not drift into Christ-likeness. You don't drift into holiness, You know that, don't you? He says there's a pattern of this world. There's a tide of the world that if we just go into the world out from West Point, start going into the world, say, I wonder what's going to happen today. We will be pulled along. We will drift in the currents of secularism and and an anti-God worldview and find ourselves losing joy, losing intimacy, losing power in our life. I've seen this as a pastor over many, many years, that you get Christian jellyfish in the church. I, I, I live in, down near Christchurch, and I'll go down, and in the summer you'll see the jellyfish. They'll come in, and they'll go out. The tide's coming in. Here comes a jellyfish. Here he comes. Oh, look, jellyfish. Oh, there goes the tide. There he goes again. You get Christians who come along church, hello. And they're, oh, that's nice. To see. And then, oh, they're going out again. What? Where do they go? I don't know. Oh, I have their back again. Oh, isn't that great? And they go backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. But they're always jellyfish. <laughs> I tell you, when you look at bass or mullet that swim into the harbor, they swim against the tide. They're created Created to swim against the tide. There's a pull in them. There's an amazing pull in the trout and the salmon. There's an amazing God-given pull where they swim against the tide in order to achieve and be fruitful in God's call upon their lives. How much more for us, brothers and sisters? I feel one of the Most important things I can say from this platform as we go is that what needs to happen in commission is that we need to make disciples of all peoples, and we need to release to a grassroots movement discipleship that it happens in every church, right across the church, that whilst we honor the Mick Taylors, whilst we honor our training programs, and can I just say, if you, haven't, if you feel that God's calling you to be a pastor teacher, sign up tonight. If you're feeling God wants you to be someone who knows the Bible better, get on foundations. Don't put off another year what you should be doing today. The mission is important. Get enlisted. Now, we, we put on these programs to help everybody. But every church needs to be devoted to the word of God. They need to be devoted to discipleship. Elders, I commission you in the name of Jesus to look at the life of your church and ask the question, where is discipleship going on? It goes on on a Sunday, praise God. It might go on in a small group. But one of the best ways it can happen is immersion of people in the lives of other people. One of the greatest joys I've ever had in my life is having people, many of whom now have planted churches, who've come and lived and spent a year or two years with me. They are my greatest joy as I look at my life, what God is doing with them, whether it's Spain, Portugal, UK, what they're doing in God, I rejoice in on a daily basis. A privilege to pour my life, to pour the word of God, to be praying for someone and to be praying together to seek God for their life and seeing them grow up to become more like Jesus. We're all called to do it. Older men should be training young women, discipling younger men, older women the same. If you are a young person, young Christian, I don't know where I'm going to go. Speak, look around the church and look for somebody who looks like Jesus and ask them to help you. Let's make sure we are making disciples. You see, we are living in a battlefield. I want to just very quickly mention these. We're living in the battlefields of our identity in our society. If you live in UK, you'll be you'll know you'll here be bombarded, your life has no meaning. You're a random bit of DNA, you're floating in a meaningless universe, you're only as popular as how many likes you get when you change your Facebook profile. TV is real life. Everyone can be happy, fulfilled, rich, famous. Success is measured by how many cars you have, how many girlfriends, how many holidays, how many car, you know, whatever car you drive. That is the world current pulling our young people, pulling us to be just lost in this morass of meaninglessness. And it says 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we renew our mind, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He is a new creation. The old has come, the old has gone, the new has come. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. One of the ways I renew my mind on a daily basis is a reading one chapter of Ephesians 1, 2, or 3. How, do I, what, how does that help you? Because every morning I thank God that I have been adopted. Every morning I thank, thank, blessed be the Lord and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who's blessed me with every spiritual blessing in Christ. I'm not some jellyfish. I'm not at the whim and will of what the government says or what anybody else. I'm not going to be fearful about IS and knife attacks in London because I'm an ambassador. I'm someone who's been saved and has been predestined and has an eternal purpose. And if they kill me, I am going to be face to face with my Lord and Savior. I want to live my life living in the goodness of my Father in heaven, not in the fear this world wants to push to me. We live in a nation of addiction. Can I just say this? As you listen to this message, here's the one of the biggest challenges for me, for you. Cynicism. Unbelief. Negativity. We're negative in Britain. I mean I mean how many people over West Point, hey, five days of sun. When's it gonna rain? I mean, we just we that's how we do that's how we live. (laughs) I've heard there's a rain cloud coming. Yeah, there always is a rain cloud coming. You live in Britain. We're consumed as a nation by lust. 76 percent of men, 36 percent of women are regularly watching porn on a daily basis. We're consumed by form, food. One percent of the world's population has a McDonald's every day of the week. We're consumed by wealth. One percent of the world owns 50 percent of the world's wealth. We're consumed by gaming. We're consumed by gambling, 4.5 billion pound industry. We're consumed by social media. Teenagers are spending 20, on average, 27 hours a week on social media. And people who know these things tell us that girls from the age of 10 to 15 are taking their lives three times more than they were 15 years ago. And one of the primary reasons is social media. We need to wake up. Mums, dads, brothers, sisters, young people in this room, there is a current, a current that is moving. And the answer is to be changed, renewed, metamorphosis into the creations, the new creations that God wants us to be to be Christ to our world. For all of us, not for a few of us, the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, have all got to look and speak and act like Jesus because then the world will know that there is a king who reigns over our life and reigns over the church. Not because the preacher preaches a good sermon, but because we live lives like Jesus Christ. The call is for all. Let me move just quickly into the battle for mission I want to finish with this because it is so important turn with me to Acts chapter 13 Terry has read from it I want to read again once we win the battle for our minds we'll know that we've been crucified with Christ that we no longer live but Christ lives in us we'll know that there's a good pleasing and perfect will and that means we can be fruitful in the mission God has for us God wants you to be fruitful. God wants, say the person next to you, God wants you to be fruitful. Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, and I'm looking at Romans chapter 13 and thinking, that looks a bit unusual. Acts 13, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, and a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. After fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and they sent them off. Can I say, if you don't win the battle of the mind you will not be able to live in the power of the Holy Spirit to do the mission. This does not make sense. This is a church which is thriving. This is a church which has just got two superstars, Barnabas and Paul. It's a growing church. But when they came and they gave themselves, as we've been reminded on a number of occasions over this conference, to prayer, in prayer, everything changes. Everything gets put back on the table. We get a perspective that God is sovereign. And God says, like Terry said last night, I'll have that. There's our lives. We're thinking, hey, I'm a pastor of a church. I'm doing really well. And God says, yeah, I'll have that. I think we'll move it over here. What's going on? If you live with human understanding, if we live in commission with human understanding, we will not achieve thousand lives, transform hundreds of churches, tens of 1000000s We'll never do it. We have to live in the power of the Spirit and the, and the anointing of the Spirit and to be directed by the Spirit wherever He wills. So after praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. They sent them off into the nations. They sent them off into Cyprus, which was where Barnabas was from, and then they went over into Turkey and then around to Greece. And you know the story. The world was changed over those 30 years from having just a few handful of Christians to thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of lives transformed just because they were obedient to the Holy Spirit of God. They heard the cry... Of the Father, God so loved the world. As you go from this conference, I want to remind you we are all of us going to tell the great news, to tell the wonderful news, to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. 950 million Hindus, 1.8 billion Muslims, 3,000 African animist tribes without Christ. You see, here's my challenge to you. If God wins the battle for your mind, and he must, then you will understand these people are lost. These people will spend eternity away from the presence of our Savior. These people will be cast into everlasting punishment unless they hear the gospel. If you want to know what that looks like, I remember an illustration by Hudson Taylor, I've just tried to modernize it. You stand on a motorway and you have three lanes of traffic moving towards you. Every lane is full with cars going at 60 miles an hour. In every car there are four people and you stand there for 30 years, 30 years with that traffic going past you. That is the population of India today. 97% of them do not know Jesus Christ. It's a huge mission. It should drive us to our knees. We thank God for Vinu and the Indians that are with us. We need to pray for them, brothers and sisters, as we go home. We need to beseech God for them because things are hotting up in India as they did in the book of Acts, and we want these brothers to succeed. We want our commissioned family to know there's real grace for gospel advance in the midst of hardship and opposition and persecution, don't we? We need to be men and women who are praying and and interceding because we need to believe Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So I want to finish by saying this. How on earth can this group do thousands of lives, hundreds of churches, tens of nations, well, let me give you a little bit of history if you've never read the book Empire by Niall Ferguson you should read it particularly if you're British it's embarrassing it's embarrassing he puts forward a case that we're nothing but a bunch of pirates and crooks which I tend to agree with do you know when the Portuguese and the Spanish and the French were all going out and exploring the nations and taking all the minerals to the nations you know that Britain was a mile behind all that. And so William Pitt decided in his ingenuity, I know how to deal with this, we'll build a fleet of ships and we'll go and sink the Portuguese, sink the Spanish, sink the French, and nick all the wealth, which is what we did. And we called it the Royal Navy, eventually. You walk around London and you realize we are a bunch of thieves. There's so much stuff that we've nicked from all the nations. I apologize, India, by the way. The amount of stuff we've nicked from you is just hilarious. If you get it back, you're going to be very wealthy. We did it by building ships. Our wealth, if you've never known this, our wealth as a nation, one of the reasons we are so wealthy as a nation is because Britannia rules the waves. For a season, we understood the trade routes were where the money was, the understanding of how to exploit those. We went all over the world, and we did terrible things and some good things. And some good things. Read the book, it's it's marvelous. You read a non-Christian telling you about what the Christians did. It is quite inspiring. But I want to say as we go here, there are four ships that we are building and that you and I need to be on board with, okay? First ship we're building, HMS Unify. HMS Unify. If you know the Battle of Trafalgar, if you've seen victory in in Portsmouth Dockyard, you know the importance of the flagship. The flagship was the ship that said, hey, this is where we're all going. Hey, come to me. Hey, watch out, enemy over on the starboard. All people on board, all hands on deck, everybody in their uniform, everybody knowing and drilled in what they're called to do. Every one of us, as we go from this place, we're not going just to have a go and ad-lib and play loose, foot loose with the church. No, we've been summoned together to fulfill a purpose in God in our togetherness. We need to be unified. We're unified by our biblical values, unified by our clear vision, unified by leadership that God's given us in our church so that more and more people are added to this number day after day. We want to be unified, and West Point unifies us. Let's make sure we're here next year. Let's grab a few more. Let's get to that 4,000. Amen? Amen. HMS Unify. HMS Equip. One of the key ships in the, in the, as we developed ships was the brig. And the brig was the supplier ship, the ship that brought water and people and resources and ammunition to enable the fleet to be properly equipped to do their work of winning battles and going to the ends of the earth. We need brothers and sisters to be equipped. My plea to you as you go home is that discipleship, reading in the Bible, giving yourself to the local church, giving yourself to becoming more Christ-like is at the top of your priority, not the bottom. Being a witness for Jesus, you need to be equipped to know how to do that. You need HMS release. You come across the galleon. Galleons were full of treasure, full of bounty, full of bounty from the nations, the color, the beauty, the fragrance, the food. Every believer must be released to share this treasure that we have within us, which is the glorious gospel, Jesus Christ. As we go from here, can I plead with you, as I did the other night, your daily prayer, God, let me bless three people today in the name of Jesus. I prayed this prayer a few weeks ago in London. Heather and I pray, oh God, we're going out now. We're out on the streets of London. We're going down a busy street in London, and there is a guy, an old guy, and he's holding his head like this. He's saying to people as they pass, help me, help me. And everyone's in London, you do this. Everyone just sidesteps, moves around. We're very very good at that. It's an amazing gift. Just walk past, pretend nothing's happening. Heather and I stop. We say, hey, how can we help you? And he said, I've just been mugged. Two motorcyclists just mugged me. They've just beaten me. They've stolen my wallet. I don't know what to do. I'm in a mess, and he was tearful. He was crying, and I said to him, let me pray for you. Let me pray for you, and I prayed for him. The peace of God would come upon him. I prayed that he would know God. We had an opportunity to share, had an opportunity to bless, and this guy, as he was going, says, you'll never know what this has meant to me. Such terrible thing just happened to me. And then I just walked a few paces and met you. It was like from hell to heaven. We're called to bring heaven. We're not called to win every argument. We're not called to be the cleverest. We're not called to be the most eloquent. We're called to love people with the love of Jesus Christ and look for every opportunity to say to them, you need Jesus. Jesus loves you. Jesus so loves you. And we will see this world slowly, gradually being transformed because of the love of Jesus. We need to be released, brothers and sisters. We have the pearl of great price. The treasure is within us. And we need to send... The fastest ship in the fleet, the fastest was a clipper. It could go to the nations faster. You know, Cuddy Sark was the fastest boat of the day going right around the world. We need to send people, even from this conference tonight, going to the very ends of the earth for Jesus Christ. Who will go from this place? We heard that call, awake, awake. Who will go to India? Who will go to Iberia? Who will go to North Korea? Who will go to the Middle East? Who in this place will say to God, I'm all in. You've given me this life. I want it to count for Christ. How many of you hearing Simon and Kate go, tell you what, it was nice in Bristol. And God says, thanks very much. Here's Cardiff. How many of you felt, glad that wasn't me. It can be you. I'm praying 12 of you tonight. I'll tell you what, that's me. I'm going to move house, move job, move whatever. I can do that and I'm going to make this church plant this time next year buzzing with success. There are two couples in this place who will say to Andover, I'll tell you what, I'm going to move to Andover. That's a needy place. Boy, it's a needy place. And I've got just the skill set to be able to help that. Here's a challenge for a grassroots movement. Whenever you feel you're going to move for your business, Check it out with your pastor and see if there's an opportunity to plant a church. Don't say, oh, look at that. My boss wants me to move to Edinburgh. Let's plant a church in Edinburgh. Yeah, but I'm not much of a preacher. It doesn't matter. Open your home. We can begin there. We need to be grassroots, grassroots, so that wherever God is moving us, we're not living under circumstances. We're living under the sovereign God and saying, this is a God moment, and we're going to make it a God moment because we're part of this mission together. We are sent ones. So let me finish. I want to finish by reading Revelation chapter 7. It's how the story ends. I'd like you to turn there, please. After this, I looked, and behold. The great multitude that no one could count from every nation and from tribes and people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes, palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The psalmist cries out Let all the nations praise you, O God. Why does he say that? Because that is what God deserves. He deserves the praise of the nations. He will have, the Father has set a day. He will give his son the nations of the world. He will have a bride from every tribe, nation, and tongue from around the world before his throne on that final day, worshipping the Lamb. And saying salvation belongs to our God. And the great news, brothers and sisters, as we end this conference, is we get the privilege to be on this mission. The great evangelist is no one in this room, it is the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you in order that you will be my witnesses. I'll finish with this little video clip. I think we probably need to take this thing down in order to watch this video clip, so carry on, guys. Ignore me. Not too much, though. Take a little bit of notice. I don't want to get knocked off or anything like that, which is highly likely. Well done. Thank you. In, the, in this book, in this film, Hacksaw Ridge, I would not recommend anyone sees it, so please don't say I'm pushing a video. It's a true story of a guy called Desmond Doss. Desmond Doss, in this video, he, he, they basically show that he was a pacifist, didn't want to, he was a Christian and a pacifist, didn't want to get involved in shooting anybody, but was serving uh, as a medic in the vietnam war and there was a particular battle hacksaw ridge that's the name of the film where there were huge amounts of casualties and the hero of the film the hero of the day and he got a medal for this was a man called desmond Doss, this pacifist and in the film he's pulling lives in the middle of gunshot and everything as he's pulling lives american lives vietnam lives back into safety so that their life can be saved Even his commanding officer who hated and made his life a misery is on this little clip at the end of the film. In the film and in real life, and you'll hear him speak in his USA accent, he says this, just one more life. I kept praying to Jesus, just one more life. As we go, brothers and sisters, what is precious to Jesus is one more life. Every life is precious to Jesus. And I pray none of us would disqualify ourselves tonight. The call of God is for all, all of us, to be clothed with power, to be witnesses, to win souls. Not just to see them hands up for Jesus, but to make disciples. So as we watch this, I pray the Holy Spirit might just invade our hearts and challenge us to be all out for Jesus in terms of winning souls for him. Let's watch it. Oh, don't you love the videos? Okay. Okay. So we'll scrap that video. If you want me to act it out, just, just say. I cried when I saw that. And I went to my bedroom and I fell on my knees and said to Jesus, I want to win souls for you. I want when we meet together on that final day to look Jesus on the eye and have him say, well done, good and faithful. Not about good messages or anything other than God has given us lives to take care of. Do you know there is a, a call on us all? Let's, why don't we stand in the presence of the King? Worship group, I'd love you to come up. I want to commission you all at the close of this message to go. Why don't we lift our hands before Jesus? And let me read the Great Commission over you. All authority, Jesus said, is heaven and on earth has been given to me. You in commission, go. Make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You teach them to obey all I have commanded you. And let me tell you, Commission, I am with you. I am with you always to the very end of the age. Holy Spirit, may this word find good soil. May it give us great encouragement that we now begin the battle. The battle now begins. We're going home from a mountaintop or an airfield. We're now taking to our wings in the Spirit, and we're believing you for advance of the kingdom of God. We want to be all in for Jesus. We want to see your kingdom advance. We want to win souls for Jesus because you know that is wisdom. And to you, Lord Jesus, to you belong the nations of the world, every tribe, every tongue, every nation belongs to Jesus you Jesus you are worthy of the world and we want to live our part for you and so come Holy Spirit and seal this word and help us to walk in it and be obedient in Jesus precious name amen amen Amen. let's worship him together